Open your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1. Um, before we get into the text, just a couple of quick comments. Um, the first for all those that gave extra help this morning, knowing that Pastor Joyce wouldn't be here. A lot of people stepped up. We want to really thank you for that. Made my morning a lot more pleasant. Um, but also want to just make passing comment about the end of chapter 3. We're not going to take time to look at it, but there is that, that moment at the end of chapter 3 when we kind of ended with, with Jesus' family coming and trying to extract him from a, the crowds that he was giving his attention to. They thought he was losing control of his, of his faculties, quite literally. And um, he makes that statement. He said, who are my mother and father? Sisters and brothers. Actually, he didn't refer to his father. He knew who his father was. Who are my mother and brothers and sisters? And then he points to those listening to him, and he said, Behold, my mother, sister, brothers, those who seek the kingdom of heaven. That confuses a lot of people. They think, well, is Jesus just like disregarding his family? No. He was making it very clear that even family cannot be allowed to come between us and the pursuit of the kingdom. Nothing, nothing can be allowed to come between us and the pursuit of his kingdom because that is what is most important. On the cross, Jesus made deliberate provision for his mother and he charged John with caring for her. So Jesus clearly valued his mother and his family. But as much as he valued them, the kingdom never took second place to anything. So that, that's what's going on at the end of chapter 3. I know some people had asked that and I wanted to at least speak to that quickly. But our attention this morning is chapter 4. Um, it's a really, really well-known parable common to, um, I think, most of us. The parable of the sower, the parable of the seed, the parable of the soil. You could identify it by any of, or you could identify it by all three. You could call it the parable of the sower, seed, and soil. So it's, again, well-known. A little bit of a lengthy passage, but um, we're going to go ahead and look at the entire section this morning. So Mark chapter 4, beginning in the first verse. And he, that is Jesus began to teach again by the sea, and such a very great multitude gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this, behold, the sower went out to sow, and it came about that as he was sowing, some of the seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into good soil, and as they grew up, they increased and yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, a hundredfold. And he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, get everything in parables, in order that while seeing they may see and not perceive, while hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they return and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown, and when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which was sown in them. And in a similar way, there are those on whom the seed was sown on rocky places who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. 
And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word and the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are ones on whom the seed was sown on good soil. They hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. Father, we thank you for your word. And our prayer, Father, is that our mind and heart would simply be open to the truth you have for us. Father, we want to see, we want to know your character, the character of your son, fashioned in us, Father. And we know that happens as you fabricate it, Lord. As you fashion it within us. And we know, Father, that your word is your principal tool. So we look to you to that end, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Really, really well-known parable. Um, but I think sometimes maybe not understood as clearly as we should. So what I'd like to do this morning first is just look at the parable as a whole, make sure we understand um, what's going on, and then focus on the specific meaning that Jesus gives it. That's one of the nice things about this parable. Jesus explains it for us, and then finally ask the question, okay, how does that speak to us in our setting you know, 2,000 years later? So first let's look at the passage as a whole, the first couple of verses, Jesus is dealing with these ever-increasing crowds. Crowds are getting bigger. Now he has to go so far as to put the physical barrier of water between him and the crowd in order to, to address them. In verse uh, 3, Jesus states the central theme of the parable. The sower went out to sow. That's where everything starts. That's where, for us where everything starts. When the sower, God sows his truth, his word, in our hearts. Verse 4, the parable turns to the issue of the soil and the different kinds of soil, right? First, there's the seed that falls on the hardened soil. This would be the soil that stood between the road or the path or the walkway in the field itself, which due to the constant traffic of workers or travelers had become hardened as it was baked in the sun and became impenetrable. This was the hard soil the seed could not penetrate. As a result, the bird simply came and ate it up. Verse 5 and 6, some seed falls on rocky soil. Again, very common in the Middle East. Soil completely filled with rocks. And because of that, there was not enough soil uh, to allow the seed to increase. It could germinate. It could start. Uh, but it couldn't survive because there was no depth, right? Verse 7, some seeds falls on good soil, but soil that's contaminated by thorns, by weeds. Right? And as a result... Um, it's choked out, is not productive. There's growth, but there's no productivity, right? Seeds germinate and sprout, but they simply cannot compete with what else is there. Verse 8, some seed falls on good soil, it germinates, grows, and prospers, right? And then Jesus adds a statement that is common to parabolic teaching. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Very common phrase in the New Testament, and a phrase completely in sync with rabbinic teaching, but one that doesn't really resonate with us because we don't teach or learn that way. The point of the phrase is simply this. If you don't understand it, think about it. It's not enough to simply hear it. You have to process it. We've touched on this briefly in the past. In rabbinic teaching, which was so radically different than our teaching, uh, when the student had a question, didn't understand what the rabbi said, the proper response was not to raise your hand and say, would you mind explaining that, right? Because if you think about that, you just insulted the rabbi. You, when, if you raise your hand and say, Rabbi, I heard what you said. Would you mind going back over that and explaining it? What you're in effect saying is you did not do a very good job of teaching that the first time. Why don't you give it another whack? Right? The response would be, no. You go 
think about what I said. And as you think about it and pray about it and meditate on it, it will be revealed to you what it meant. Now, in one sense, you know, from the teacher's perspective, that's kind of dangerous because you don't know where they're going to go with it, right? On the other hand, the good part is when they do get it, it's theirs, and they have it. It's kind of an inductive method. So what Jesus is saying is when he, if you have ears to hear, hear. If you don't understand, go think about it. The truth is there. You need to put a little effort in sometimes. We need to put a little effort sometimes into understanding. And that's his encouragement to his followers. Verse 10 and following, Jesus' followers, they, they, they're still not getting it. And so, you know, we're so glad that our Lord does accommodate us in our weaknesses. Jesus says, okay, I'll, I'll explain it to you, right? So his, his response is, involves telling them why he speaks in parables. Because they are the ones who are attracted to his teaching, even if they don't understand it. They are the ones he will encourage to continue and to pursue what he says. His reference, his explanation is that the point of the parable is oriented in the nature of the soil. And the soil is a reference to the human heart, the human mind, the essence of our being, which is to say, the one who is inclined. That is the question that's at the background of the distinction between those who understand and those that don't. Those who are inclined, though maybe they don't fully understand, by continuing to pursue the, the truth of what they've been taught, will eventually discover it, and that speaks to us. You know, there's a very similar incident to what is happening here in John's Gospel, John chapter 6, because this is only going to get worse. You know, this one's pretty straightforward and simple, but some of the things Jesus are, is going to say as they get farther into, into the Gospels, not so easy. John chapter 6, Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Well, if you can't handle this, that's going to really blow you away, and it did. And as a result, John chapter 6, when Jesus talked about eating his flesh, drinking his blood, of course, he was not literally talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. It was a reference to his death and sacrifice on their behalf. His, his disciples, people left. They stopped following him. The crowd sinned out. They were not inclined to follow him unless they could completely understand it. But when Jesus' disciples came to Jesus, he said, are you going to leave me too? And they said, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. See, what they demonstrated was even though they didn't fully comprehend what Jesus was saying, they were still drawn to what he said. And their inclination was to, was to persevere in following him until it made sense. And that's what is necessary for us because there are so many things of the kingdom we don't understand. There are so many things of life, but they just don't make, they just don't make sense. We can throw up our hands and quit or we can persevere in them. So the reason Jesus is teaching in parables is to help people bridge that point from which they do not understand to what they will understand, but it requires that his listeners, us included, persevere. So to accommodate them, Jesus goes ahead and explains the parable. Verse 14, he begins the explanation. Verse, he says, the sower sows the word. Now that's the absolute. One of the things that I helps us understanding this, understand this particular parable is to look through it through a lens. And that lens is what's the variable and what is fixed? What's the variable, what's absolute? Well, the absolute, that which is fixed, is the sower sowing the word. God's word is sown 
in the earth. Interestingly, the word that's used for soil here isn't the normal word for soil. It's the earth. His word is sown in the earth. Even in places like the Sudan where it's at the cost of people's lives. Or Nigeria where the cost of people's lives. Or places like China where the government would stop it if they could. Even North Korea, the most totalitarian government on the planet, cannot stop the sowing of his word. Because, simple statement, the sower sows the word. It's an absolute. It's fixed. It doesn't change. It happens. His word is sown in the earth, right? The question, the variable, is what follows next, and that is what happens to the seed that is sown. Verse 15, he talks about the seed that is sown by the road, and he explains that is those who hardened by life, hardened by experience, for whom the word is impenetrable, the word, the seed, though sown, is stolen away from them. It does them no good. Thirdly, the sown that is sown in seed that is, has potential but is contaminated by rock. Uh, I had the opportunity to um, speak on the phone with Dr. Elwin. If you have questions about gardening, that's where you want to go. And this is not my forte. And so I'm going to make numerous references to that conversation. It was really helpful for me. But, you know, when you think about soil that is contaminated by rock, what comes to your mind? I think of my backyard, right? Because I can look at my backyard, and it's like, it's like right there. You dirt, rock, dirt, rock, dirt, rock, small patch of grass. Dirt, rock, dirt, rock. That's it, right? And, but, but it was some insight that came from our conversation. You know, you can go through, and you can take off all those rocks, right? And you can just even that dirt out. That's still rocky soil. Did you take a shovel? And you try to go down about three inches, and you come to a whole other layer of rock. It's still rocky soil, right? Boy, that ever speak to us. You know, that was just like, so much of this one is just like obvious, right? We can, we can bring our life to the place that, you know, the bystander might walk by and go, look at that, that's beautiful, that's just like soil. No, it's not. It's right below the surface, right? Well, that's what Jesus is talking about here. The soil is great on top. But the minute the seed went down, there was enough soil, enough seed to germinate, but the minute it began to penetrate, it came to rock and it stopped. So when the sun came up, it was scorched. Seed that is sown in soil that has potential but is contaminated, worldly concerned like thorn bushes, they're already established. So even though the seed is good and what little soil there may be is good, the seed doesn't have a chance. Fourthly, good seed, good soil, they hear the word, and they accept it. There's a real clue in that 20th verse as to what this parable is all about. It's not the normative word for accept, like you hand it to me and I take it. This is a word that means to embrace. It means to embrace. Not a real common word, but where it's used, it refers to the warm embrace of a loving parent. The warm embrace of, of, of God as our loving Father, embracing us, caring for us, even at times finding it necessary to, to discipline us in life, the circumstances of life that, that, that work out, you know, the sin, the issues. Still, he embraces us as a loving father. That's the word that is used. It's necessary, the parable would teach us, to embrace us. Proverbs 3.12, one example. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. That word delight is this word. Even the son that God embraces to himself, Right? So the parable is pretty straightforward. I mean, the word's an absolute. 
It is what it is, as we say, and it's a glorious thing. The sower is an absolute. He is sowing and he continues to sow. He has never stopped his word in the earth. But what does the parable actually say to us in real life terms? The 24-7 where we live, right? Um, I would suggest, again, a simple lens based on the question, what is fixed and what is variable? The fixed things are the sower and the word. But the variable is the soil. Now, many times when we look at this parable and we look for that, the variable thing, you know, what, what changes, we jump to the end of the parable and we look at that 30, 60, 100 thing fold. And man, I've heard some crazy stuff about that, you know. Uh, I've heard some people say, well, you know, there's like 30-fold Christians and 60-fold Christians and 100-fold Christians, which is completely inconsistent with the rest of the parable, right? So that's not the actual variable. Just kind of set that aside. We'll, we'll come back to that. The variable simply is the condition and the state and the inclination of the human heart. And that's, that's us. Our hearts are variable, right? The point of the parable understood even in iniquity isn't just, well, there's good soil and there's bad soil. And if, if you're fortunate enough to have good soil so that when you hear the word, you respond, good for you. And if you're unfortunate enough to have bad soil and you reject the word, well, too bad for you. No, 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 not that at all. It's a little bit more complicated than that, just a little bit more complicated than that, right? You know, we, um, we tend to look back at people of antiquity and assume they weren't so bright. You know, after all, they didn't have cell phones, right? How smart could they have been? No, they just built pyramids without cell phones. Yeah, they were smarter than we think. Um, Jesus is speaking to a very educated audience, in some ways more educated than we are. And one of the things that Jesus' audience was educated about was dirt. When you and I read this parable and we read about good soil, what do we think? Well, soil that happens to be good. No. He's talking about soil that had been made good. This is an agricultural society. The word good soil to them would have referred to soil that had been made good. Soil that had been developed. You know, again, we kind of think that stuff like, you know, developing soil and fertilizing and all these, they're like modern inventions. It's funny, if you read, uh, and, and I did a little bit of this, if you read the, the, develop, the history of, of soil development, there's two different categories of literature. There's the one that says it started in the 1800s, right? And all of this stuff, modern soil development started in the 1800s. And then there's the other body of literature that says, yeah, well, except for that other stuff that started 8,000 years ago. Right? Interestingly, uh, there's some really fascinating stuff out there. There really is. Um, in the Encyclopedia of Soil, how many of you have ever you know, they even knew that was out there? The Encyclopedia of Soil? Yeah. Ah, there's someone that was that. That one, that's what I thought. The Encyclopedia of Soil states that soil development is the basis of all human civilization. Right? When they trace, for example, the development of cultivation, agriculture as we know it in Europe, they go back 8,000 years. 8,000 years, deliberate cultivation, the idea of clearing land, improving the soil, planting crops, and doing all goes back 8,000 years. Here's the wild part about that. That came from where? The Middle East. 
You know, the oldest references to soil development are in the Old Testament. Yeah, like, you know, giving the soil a Sabbath year of rest, right? Things like that, right? Uh, 8,000 years ago, soil cultivation came to Europe, came from the Middle East and the Near East. But here's the amazing thing. When it came, soil development was already part of what came. So 8,000 years ago, when they were talking about you know, clearing land and planting crops, they already understood the importance of modifying the soil and developing the soil. And that shouldn't surprise us. We know even, even in the Western Hemisphere, indigenous peoples, you know, they did the thing where they put the fish in the ground, right? In, 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 in uh, the Southern Hemisphere, they discovered more than 1,000 years ago what a great thing bat guano was. I didn't know that they actually shipped bat guano from Latin America to Europe. It was so good. Yeah, that's thousands of years ago they were doing that. Another really interesting thing, uh, there's a German guy by the name of Heinrich Scherer. Uh, he was a doctor in something, I don't, I don't know what, but he was writing about this. And he wrote about wood ash. That's part of, that, part of the, tech, the technology that came from the Middle East to Europe, again, 8,000 years ago. The inclusion of wood ash in the soil. And you know what that really remember that caught my eye? Wood ash isn't always a good thing to add to the soil. There's only certain circumstances in which you'd want to do that. There's, for example, some, some produce that doesn't like wood ash. So that tells me that not only were they smart enough to know that there's things you should add, but to be smart enough to know that we need to consider the soil and what we're going to grow to know whether or not that's a good idea. So they were smart enough to know they had to study the situation and analyze it before they started throwing stuff at it. So this whole, and I, I say all of that to say this, this whole idea of developing soil is nothing new. And the audience that Jesus spoke to would have been fully aware of that because they'd been doing it for a long time. So when Jesus said to them in the parable, when he referred to good soil, Where's their mind going? Not dirt that happens to be good, but dirt that's been made good. That causes us to ask the question, how do you make dirt good? Right? And so, let's talk about the steps to making dirt good. And of course, we're talking about our heart. We're not talking about gardening. We're talking about our heart. Well, the process of, um, and again, here I defer to my discussion on the phone as well as some research. Um, very helpful. I really appreciated that discussion. It starts with two questions. Well, what do I want to grow? And what do I have to do with this particular batch of dirt to make that work? Right? Well, those are challenging questions when we think about our heart. What do I want to see grow in here? Do I want to you know, make myself really smart by the world's standards? Do I want to do things that will make myself appealing to people in the world? I'm rich and famous. Or do I want to see his kingdom? Is that what I really want? And it's a decision that has to be made honestly. Because, you know, we can convince ourselves, we can tell ourselves, you know, I want to see the kingdom of God built in my heart. But if I follow that with doing the things that will lead my heart a different direction, well, the truth will soon be made known. So it requires a pretty, it begins with some pretty good self-analysis. Exactly what do I want to see grow in my life? And if indeed it is the kingdom of God, 
if it indeed it is the character of Christ in me, then I have to ask the next question, which is not one bit easier, maybe even harder. Based on what's here, what has to change? What has to be removed? What has to be added in order to create soil that his kingdom can flourish in me? That's a tough question to ask, honestly. Sometimes it helps to ask a third party, you know, send, some, send a soil sample out for analysis, if you will, right? You have a good friend? It's a good enough friend to answer that question honestly? We're going to ask our spouse. That's a, no, that, that's a no-brainer. That always works. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. What do I have to do in here to make the change? And once I know that, then I can go about the process. The process. The first is a choice. What do I want to see grow in my heart? What do I want to see prosper in my life? And what do I have to do about it? First is a choice. Second is a process. So first step, obviously, consider the soil. We talked about that. The second step is to till the soil. Not just for the process of planting, but the actual breaking it up in preparation. Again, perfect example of what would have been in the minds of Jesus' audience. Jeremiah 4.3. Break up your fallow ground. When the prophet told the people, your lives and your hearts are hardened. And you will not see the kingdom prosper until you change the place, the condition of your heart. That was right in the prophet Jeremiah. So that would have been in the thinking of Jesus' educated audience. They would have understood this, right? Till the soil, that means takes the steps to remove what shouldn't be there. I've talked before about seeing the old Greek farmers walking through the field, stopping, picking up rocks, throwing the rocks out of the field because they were so, so corrupted with rocks. So tilling the soil requires opening the soil up so that what needs to be added can be added and doing it deeply enough so there's no layer of rocks hiding down there three inches below the surface. That is a painful process of opening up our life before the Lord, saying, Lord, there it is. Do the work that needs to be done. Discipline sometimes, self-discipline sometimes, is necessary to remove the things from our life that shouldn't be there. Then comes a step that I did not appreciate until, um, again, did some reading and had my conversation, and that is leveling the soil. I always thought you leveled the soil of a garden, just make it look good, you know? You know, you want your garden to look nice, your neighbors are impressed, right? Your lawn, you want it level. So you level the soil. Oh, it is so much more important than that. If, if your garden looks you know, like this, like mine typically would do, right? Um, the water can't penetrate the soil equally. Nutrients will not be distributed equally. The seed, when scattered, will not be distributed equally. That's actually a vital step, taking the time to level it once you tilled it. And I thought about that, and I thought how important it is when we're in the process of opening up our lives before the Lord, seeking the counsel of friends, dealing with what needs to be dealt with, to do that in a sense with a certain amount of moderation perhaps, especially when we're, when we're just starting out this, like renewing the Lord. How many remember that when you first came to the Lord? Man, it was like 100 miles an hour, we're going to do it all right now, right? And that's not really healthy, right? Um, a certain amount of moderation is used. We'll talk a little bit more about that, okay? So level the soil. And another point um, that was, was added to, to, to my understanding out of this, again, marvelous discussion, was the danger of overplowing. It's kind of the same issue. Don't work the land too hard. Don't work. We, we need to sh sometimes show some judgment. The fourth step is to add nutrients as needed. The first was to consider the soil. Second was till. Third was level. Now we add the nutrients as needed. His word. His word added 
to our heart. The seed sown in our heart. And it's not simply the knowledge of his word. It is the fashioning of his character within us. Exposing the inner part of our being to his word. That changes who we are. That's adding the nutrient the soil of our heart needs. How about the fellowship of believers being together in an environment like this? You think that doesn't change our hearts? Oh, it does. It changes mine. My heart is changed every time. My heart is healed every time. My heart is enriched when I'm in not this place because of this place, but because of who's here. Exposure. I had a really interesting conversation with a, 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 an appraiser many years ago um, about some of the things I could do on our property, you know, long-term things to increase the value. And I, I talked to him about, about landscaping. And he said, be careful, be careful, because uh, a lot of people moving out to the valley are, are moving away from landscaping. They don't want it. He said, I'll tell you one thing you can do. I said, what's that? He said, you know those trees that, cut your that, that surround your house? He said, get rid of them. I said, what do you mean? He said, the trees, the kind of trees that grow in this, and I had to take his word for it because I know nothing about this. But he said, the kind of trees that grow in this part of our state, you notice they all grow together. It's called the forest. It's that way for a reason, right? He said, if you take typical sand of trees in this part of the state, and you like cut a bunch of trees up to a certain point and stop, within about 20 years, the trees on the edge of that start dying. They weren't intended to be exposed like that. They grow together like that until a natural barrier stops them. And what happens, and he said, every builder in the state knows this, they just don't tell you. They clear the trees, boom, stop. In about 20 years, those trees start coming down on themselves, being by themselves, with no warning, right, bad, bad thing for a homeowner. So my whole point is this, even some plants only do well when they're in, for lack of better words, the fellowship of other plants, right? Mixed metaphor, I'm sorry. We thrive in the body of believers. That is our nature. Our hearts are enriched when we are together, right? Worship, it is no coincidence that when we gather here, we begin with worship. That is not simply a habit or a tradition. You can participate in worship anywhere on the planet, and you will find that the church begins with worship. Worship opens our heart for the reception of the word. It's a universal. I would argue it goes back to the Old Testament. And service Service to others affects our hearts. That's why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Service to others changes our heart. Many of you know that I'm a chaplain with the state troopers. One of the main reasons I do that is it because it puts me in contact with people I would have no other reason to be in contact with. Many of you heard about the death up in Hatcher Pass this last weekend. That was a chaplain call that I got. And I, I can't go into any details. I won't share any names. But I can tell you, sitting there with people who I would have never met in the midst of their suffering and loss, I hope I was of a benefit to them. But I know that the moment was a benefit to me because I was touched by the genuineness of their heart. And their loss and their suffering. I mean, not that I, I'm not suggesting I enjoyed the moment at all. But things happen in our hearts 
when we minister to the needs of others and our hearts are enriched. That adds to our lives when we serve others. That adds to our lives when we participate in the lives of others. The last step, I'll end with this, in developing of so, development of soil, developing of the human heart, is to take the long view. Take the long view. Uh, I was surprised when I did my first little venture into gardening many years ago that uh, preparing the soil for a garden is not a one-year process. You know, I thought you just get out there and, you know, clean it up and get it ready and add some fertilizer. You're good to go. No, it takes years. And as the soil is, is, is used year after year, if it's done properly, if, if it's plowed and it's planted and it's fertilized and it's harvested year after year, the soil gets better and better. I guess I found out every gardener is supposed to know that. I didn't know that, right? But soil takes time to develop. And with each passing year, it gets better. That's really cool. And that is that 30, 60, 100 thing at the end of the parable. It is not that there is, by some distribution of fortune, you know, 30-fold Christians and 60-fold Christians and 100-fold Christians, and it's the luck of the draw. No, there's no luck of the draw anywhere in this parable. It's all deliberate. As we persevere in opening our hearts to the Lord, opening our hearts and our lives to those around us, letting those things that are in us that shouldn't be in us be taken out, adding those things that should be added, his word, worship, fellowship, those things come into our lives. As our lives produce the increase of his character in us, that's the increase, that's the increase, his character in us, as we persevere in that, it continues to get better and better. More and more of his character is revealed. Now, it doesn't always feel that way. I mean, I've been pursuing the Lord now for going on 50 years. And then I see stuff, I'm thinking, my God, how is that still there? That should have been yanked out. That weed should have been pulled. That rock should have been removed a long time ago. But there it is, right? And how disappointed I get. And then I realize when we've gone through the process of dealing with it, that the Lord is just revealing more and more of himself to me. And that's the source of the dissatisfaction. Is that that was part of his character I wasn't experiencing. And when that process is gone through, I can say, yep, there's more of Jesus. There's more of his kingdom. There's more of his person. And that's that increase. And that, I really think, is what Paul was talking about when he wrote the Philippian church. And he said, For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. More and more of his character fashioned in us. That's what we're after. And we have a deliberate part. Praise God, we have the two absolutes. We have the two, they'll have the two fixed things. We have the sower sowing the seed. Jesus pouring himself into our lives. That's always going on. The variable is how much are we willing to invest to make his work profitable in our lives. Father, thank you for your word, Lord. And Father, it's such a really simple thing. It's such a simple thing, Lord. And um, I hope we don't make it too complicated. But rather, Father, to be deliberately active in, um, in facilitating the work that you're doing.
It's all your work, Lord. There is nothing of ourselves we can do to make any difference of any real, certainly no eternal value, Father. But there are things we can do, deliberate choices we can make, to open our hearts and our minds and our lives so that the work you are doing, by your word, by the power of your spirit, Father, to fashion the character of your Son in us would come to fruition. We want to be faithful to that end, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together this morning.